uh, this, this is something I heard. I can't remember where I heard it, but they said if the founder can't sell it, nobody can. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it doesn't matter which salesperson you hire. If the founder cannot sell it, you can't sell it to the salesperson. So how are you going to get that salesperson excited? You need to be chief salesman officer before you are anything else. Right. Like, I mean, at least that's my my two cents. Right. Like, and also because I've always had a knack for sales. Right. Mm. And so I've honed and I've gone into that. And, and to me, sales drives everything else. Of course, you can't just build a business around sales. Like you have to have everyone else do a bunch of work. But sales is the sort of blood that makes the heart pump. Right. Like if with sales, you can figure out the operations with sales, you can figure out other things. But without sales, you know, your funding can only take you so far. Welcome to episode 143. Selling is fundamentally a person-to-person -person business. It's that simple. Despite the prevalence of computers, software, and sophisticated sales funnels, there's a crucial truth. All these tools have limitations. They can't replace the human touch. So at some point, you've got to step away from the screen and engage in real conversations. As entrepreneurs, it's time to break free from the confines of your desks and recognize that selling isn't just about customers. It extends to potential employees, investors, and various stakeholders. It's about authentically sharing your passion and vision with the people who matter. Our guest today, Mauricio Di Bartolomeo, the co-founder and CSO of Leden, has a profound understanding of this principle. Hailing from Venezuela to Canada, Mauricio has experienced firsthand the persuasive power of sales. He knows that it's a critical tool to propel your passion and vision into the world. Join us in this conversation as Mauricio shares insights into the heart of selling and how it can be a game changer for entrepreneurs. And here is a little extra for you. Want to uncover any potential bottlenecks in your business? Well, check out the Bottleneck Index, a practical tool to evaluate and overcome your own limitations. The link is waiting for you in the show notes. Now let's dive into Mauricio's journey. Hi, Mauricio. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Lauren. It's a, a, it's a great pleasure to be here and uh, really excited to do this. Me too. So I think I cannot start this, this podcast episode without, you know, uh, talking about Venezuela. Because your journey is very much linked to the events in Venezuela, which is where you're from originally. Yes. You've experienced financial corruption first end. You decided to leave to avoid the country's economic collapse. So how did that bring you to create Leden in uh, 2017? Um, it's a great question, and they're closely related. So uh, I'll give you a bit of background on how I left, and then how my family left, and then yeah. how that leads to Bitcoin. So in in Venezuela, as you know, before it, when I grew up, and in, in I grew up in 1985, or I, I was born in 1985, and I grew into the sort of uh, late 90s, mid to late 90s, Venezuela was known for this being this beautiful country with beautiful beaches, lots of oil, mm -hmm. and winning the Miss Universe pageants. You know, we had the most beautiful <laughs> women in the world. That was what people knew us for. 
you left the country and immediately you landed and you said Venezuela, oh Miss Universe, all the oil, all the beaches. Yeah. And you were like, and you felt like, oh my God, yes, thank you. Yes, you know, thank you. It, it yeah. felt you felt very proud. And when Chavez wins the election, Chavez is the now famously known dictator, authoritarian dictator in Venezuela, communist dictator. But he didn't start out as a communist dictator. He started out as this uh, middle-of-the-road democratic candidate that got mm. elected through votes. And then once he was in there, started destroying the country. So before he was even elected, Chavez had already tried to overthrow the government by force twice. He was a failed, he, was a, he comes from the military. So he tried two coup d'etats and failed mm. and he was in jail and he was jailed and the out the the president uh, leaving uh in the president whose term was ending in 98 or 99 gives him a pardon so that okay. he can run on the next election because what happened was chavez was organizing a coup from within jail and he said if you don't pardon me this is gonna get nasty if you pardon me we'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe on the polls and wow. so he gets pardoned Immediately after he gets pardoned, he gets on a plane and goes to Cuba to start getting trained. And the people in Venezuela that were paying attention to this, most people don't have the time to afford paying attention to this. They're just mm. kind of going through the motions. But a lot of the people, my family included, that saw and understood where Chavez was coming from were like, uh-uh, we're leaving. And so right. we, we left Venezuela and tried to leave Venezuela for, for the term that everybody thought he was going to be one term and gone. But he he didn't. He, he basically kept on and started getting more entrenched and destroying the country. So my family, when we were in Miami, we basically ran out of money. Like we, we couldn't continue living in Miami and earning money in Venezuela. My dad's businesses weren't weren't doing as well as, as we needed to. So we had to go back to Venezuela. And here you are, you know, with doors closing and the country falling off a cliff. And many families are looking at each other at lunch table and, and they're looking at their kids and they said, who wants to go abroad? Uh, we mm. need to have one of you go abroad and do their school. And if everything fails, you need to yank us out, right? Like, because we all can't afford to leave. So who's the most yeah. willing Who's the most willing kid here? And so that was me for my family. After spending those two years in Miami, I was like, I want it. I want, like, I'll go. I'll, I'll go to Canada. I'll do whatever it takes to just not be in Venezuela. So that's how I wind up in Toronto. Mm. But my family stays. And this th this begins this sort of tug of war because I start trying to tell them come out come out come out and they're like no you know what you should come back you know and, and so it, it oh, really? this tension yeah and so this tension begins and um and so things are getting bad and bad in Venezuela and in, in Venezuela you know I'm still trying I'm in university I'm I'm trying to get get my life in Canada and right after um right after we graduate a few years after we graduate and everything everything that they're doing in Venezuela is is very difficult to succeed from a business perspective. They're like, their money's getting depleted. But in 2015, my youngest brother finds Bitcoin. Mm. And in the middle of hyperinflation in Venezuela, as everyone is leaving the country and fire selling their assets, my youngest brother starts mining Bitcoin and starts doing phenomenal. Because in Venezuela, electricity was very, very heavily subsidized. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the biggest input to mine Bitcoin. So he figured out that if he imported the machines and he plugged them into subsidized electricity in Venezuela, he could produce Bitcoin that he could then sell for dollars, which were in very high demand in Venezuela. Yeah. So it was a great business. And when this starts, it becomes even harder for me to get them out because they start saying to me, Mao, this is, this is great. You should come do Bitcoin here. Because of the experiences that I had had in Venezuela, I know nothing in Venezuela works long term. <laughs> like the, it, it cannot. Because whenever something good is happening, the government will come and slap it right down yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or take it. 
So I'm like, guys, great. That is going well. Let's come and be professionals at this over here. Let's build a world-class company. We can't do that from there. Mm -hmm. And they kept saying, no, no, you know, we want to mine here. And because I couldn't mine in Canada, I didn't have the free electricity that they did, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have the same setup. I had to figure out a way to add value to the Bitcoin world. And what I had noticed back then helping people mine Bitcoin was that once people started mining Bitcoin, everybody wanted one thing, more Bitcoin. Yeah. And you didn't want to sell the Bitcoin you had, but you wanted to grow the business. So what did everybody want? They wanted a loan in dollars backed by their Bitcoin. In the same way you can get a dollar loan backed by your house and not sell your house, they wanted the same with Bitcoin. I wanted it. Mm. Nobody would give it to us. And as I'm sitting in Canada, building with this mind going with Adam, my business partner, we're like, how is nobody issuing loans against this asset? This is the greatest asset to lend against. And eventually we put our heads together and we said, we're going to solve this problem for ourselves. And we went out and we built Canada's first Bitcoin back loan. And we issued it in 2018. And we're still, I'm very, very proud to say that Ledin did that. Um, and today we service clients in over 130 countries. So that was a very long roundabout way of yeah. telling you how we got here. But but uh, yeah, that that's a, a pause. <laughs> no, it's an amazing it's an amazing uh, story. Did you did you imagine you would be an entrepreneur one day? Yes, um, my dad was always uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, my dad had businesses ranging from a shoe factory with 17 stores across the country to a cyber cafe with 200 computers in a land wow. uh, connected in a land to uh, cell phone distribution centers when the cell phone boom went on in Venezuela uh, he he built uh, he, he his background is in construction so he does commercial and residential real estate as well so i've always i always grew up knowing that i wanted to do something uh, for myself uh, to give you an example we we're three brothers and whenever mm. each one of us graduated at university my dad would basically angel fund our first little venture so we could get our swing at the bat with our first business. And uh, of course, you know, I tried and, and business failed and uh, we all did. But the yeah. learnings you get from those businesses are priceless. And yeah. as, I would be, as, I've been, as I've built Ledin and as we've built Ledin, because it's not a one-man job, it's been a huge team effort. But I, I definitely, there's been times where I've been building this and kind of like Slumdog Millionaire, the movie, when sometimes you have a question and you go back to why you learned that lesson. Mm -hmm. And so many of those lessons come from the businesses that tried and failed. Uh, but that that lesson became very valuable to perfect Latin, if that makes well, sense. Now you, have, now you have to tell me about those lessons. <laughs> I mean, uh, two, or three, two or three of them, at least. Um, so I guess uh, a couple of lessons... Um, um, let me, let me give you some, some good examples. So, okay. Yeah. This is a good example. So when I, um, my, my, one of my businesses before Ledin uh, was a, a business where I, I sold surfboards and paddleboards, uh, okay. water sports, and I'm an immigrant to Canada, Canada. And like the U S is sort of the, the Super Bowl of markets, right? It's the, mm -hmm. it's the home of capitalism, you know, where the best of the best, uh, sell their products and create their businesses. So you as an immigrant or as a foreign person always look at this as sort of the major leagues, right? Like, mm -hmm. like you know, being pulled up and playing to the, playing at the Yankees, right? And mm -hmm. so when I graduated university in Canada, I felt very sort of like this massive imposter syndrome that me, this immigrant child, could start a business in Canada 
and and sell you a Canadian a good I didn't even have a Canadian passport at the time right mm-hmm. so like I felt very much like I'm in a new place with rules with things that are much bigger than me that you know my dad's not here my family's not here you know what do you do and my dad would always push me to hustle and hustle and just do it and then so at first I'm like okay I'm going to I'm going to design a product that I'm going to try to sell in Canada that that having the confidence to say that I'm going to try my luck selling something in Canada could have only come after I had tried to sell things other places in Venezuela. I knew that I had been successful at selling. I knew that I could sell to other people in other parts of the world. So now that made me feel less fear of doing this. Even though I was still scared, that made me feel a lot less fear, right? Um, my dad constantly imported and exported things in Venezuela. So mm-hmm. I, I had seen him do it. I knew it was possible. So part of the business required me to import a container from China to Canada and do the customs and not make mistakes in the customs and offload them and bring them to my warehouse. And from my warehouse, take those things to my stores. I had never done that. Mm. And I had to do that by myself. So the the first time I did that, I, I still remember going to customs and filling out the form like my hands were shaking because I was like, what if I make a mistake here? Are they going to take away my visa? You know, I, I was it was very nerve wracking. But mm. I was able to do those things because I had already tried in Venezuela many times. I had had successful sales. I had had people laugh at me. I had people close doors in my face. So I was less afraid. Yeah. Right. And I think that being able to sell is something that you have to condition yourself to. It's, it's an acquired taste. You know, uh, people are deadly afraid of speaking in crowds, deadly afraid of knocking on doors. I did a trip. To, to get my business, my paddleboard business to work, I went knocking door to door on every single paddleboard and surfboard store from Toronto to Key West on the East Coast of the United States to mm. sell my boards. And now you tell me, go to a conference, Mount, talk to a room full of people about Bitcoin. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Uh, but not any, not everybody will be as sort of, yay, I'll do it. If you hadn't been sort of uh, honing yourself or preparing yourself all the way to this point. So yeah, a bit of a rant, but yeah, no, but it's it's an important one because it's a lot of entrepreneurs uh, don't dare when it comes to selling, you know. And it's a huge part of the business. No, you yeah. can have the best tech in the planet, you can have the best product in the world if you don't put it in the hands of people. You have zero business. Yeah, exactly. So, and so it's good to 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 tell other funders and to repeat it as much as we can. That they don't have the choice; they have to be the main salesperson, at least in the in the beginning. I've heard from VCs that uh, this, this is something I heard. I can't remember where I heard it, but they said if the founder can't sell it, nobody can. Yeah, so, like it doesn't matter which salesperson you hire. If the founder cannot sell it, you can't sell it to the salesperson. So how are you going to get that salesperson excited? You need to be chief salesman officer before you are anything else. Right. Like, I mean, at least that's my my two cents. Right. Like and also because I've always had a knack for sales. Right. Mm. And so I've honed and I've gone into that. And and to me, sales drives everything else. Of course, you can't just build a business around sales like you have to have everyone else do a bunch of work. But sales is the sort of blood that makes the heart pump. Right. Like if with sales, you can figure out the operations with sales, you can figure out other things. But without sales, you know, your funding can only take you so far. Very, very, very true. And perhaps this is why your bottleneck score is so good. 
Because <laughs> I asked you to take the bottleneck index, you came up with a score of 33%, which is like pretty good, with the exception of strategic thinking. Okay. That's that's an interesting, that's an interesting one. You score the weakest, no, the weakest. That is it's not even it's not even a, an English word. You score the weakest <laughs> on strategic thinking, uh, especially on the fact that you, you said you don't allocate sufficient hours per month to reflect on a business strategy. Yes, and that has actually come in in certain um in in certain ways that has um I think that's happened because of the split uh, within the team between members. So yeah. when my title as you'll see is chief strategy officer, which is yeah. funny that you yeah. when you when you <laughs> put it uh uh uh, when you basically uh, contrasted with what you just said. And at the beginning of the business, Adam and I, so the way Adam and I, um, Adam and I are co-founders. So we mm -hmm. started the business together. He's officially the CEO. I am the CSO. Um, but but that's, that was by design. And the um, as the business has gotten bigger and the sales role or the client relationship and communications role has become bigger, I've stepped more into the day-to-day -day communications and content side of the house to explain our products, to talk about why they make sense, to talk about why somebody uses them, to tell someone like you why someone in Latin America uses our products. And that's sort of what I have, uh, A, what I think I enjoy, and, and mm. two, what I've heard from others and from the business that what I'm good at is to getting people excited to come try Latin and, and learn about Latin. And Adam is incredibly good at, just that strategic thinking, dealing with our investors, dealing with the board, dealing with our capital partners. Uh, and so as the business has grown, our roles have in some ways uh, shifted. We've kind of adapted to what each of us does best. And uh, I'd later we like to say, do you have the best bum on the best chair, right? Like, is that the best person for that, for that role? And, um, and I think because I've sort of caught my stride in terms of content and presentations and awareness and, and uh, general media uh, stuff. Uh, that's what I've done more and more of. In the beginning, I used to spend a lot more time. Uh, and that's why I think I made that answer is because in, in, in the early days, I would spend all my day thinking yeah. about two, three steps ahead. Late now, and especially with everything that's happened over 2022, with all the debacle that happened in, the, in our industry, I've had to be basically in front of a camera since November until now, uh, explaining why are we different? What are we doing to, to fix the mistakes that others had in 2022? Uh, it's uh, People lost a lot of money in 2022. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, na and naturally, they have a lot of questions. So that requires a lot of communication. Mm. But you're pointing out like a very, very important aspect. This is, uh, honestly, this is a conversation that I have on every podcast. So just to tell you how important it is, it's, it's that ability that you need to have as founders or co-founders of making sure that your role evolved with time so you don't end up doing all the same things uh, all, the, all the time. You, you, know, you start delegating, you, you, you grow yourself within the role as the, com as the company grows. And you said something um, earlier on before we start recording. You said, and I quote, you, you have to have the ability to step aside. Can you uh, tell us a bit more about this? Sure. So I'll, I'll give you a great example. Yes. So when business, when, when Lennon started, I was running the marketing team. The, I was the marketing team. We were seven guys, or six guys in an office, right? So yeah. I, I was marketing. I was all sales, <laughs> all marketing, all media. And as the business grew, um, 
so did every team and so did the marketing team. And as the business went from six people on a desk with a little bit of money to a hundred people that have raised over a hundred million dollars, right? Like you can, you need to evolve the business, right? And so as I told you at the beginning, I have always believed that I can sell things and I can mm-hmm. create things and I can explain to somebody why they need to use our product. Like, and I have, this is, this is sort of my innate, uh, where I work best is at zero to one, where, where mm-hmm. this, where there's nothing and for there to be something that's where I thrive, right? Mm. When something, when you're now at 10 and you need to go 10 to hundred, you need experts in those particular areas. One such expert was our chief marketing officer, uh, Andrew Rapsi. Andrew comes from Google. He, he led hardware marketing at Google. He is the best marketer I've ever worked with. Mm. And when we were talking to Andrew about coming in, you know, for me, I had built the company blog. I I I picked the Latin name for God's sakes. You know, at the beginning, you know, for yeah. I built the first logo. So it was like, you know, I helped design the first website. So it was very much like my baby, right? Yeah. And yeah. I I ran all the social media. So for me to to be able to let go of the social media handle at Latin was a big thing. Yeah. And and I remember when I had this conversations with him because he's also luckily he's my friend. We went to school together, which is another thing that makes things that let it move faster. There's no politics. We we tell each other things like they are. Mm-hmm. And so he said to me, I know this is going to be hard for you. <laughs> right? Like I know that it's gonna, are you ready? He asked me. Because the other thing is he's he was also very smart to know that you don't want to step into something where someone else is not ready to let go. That's just going to create fiction. You want to step into a place where you're going to be allowed to thrive. So the ability to step aside is important, not just for you as a founder, but for the person coming in. It's incredibly important, right? Because you can, if either of you are not ready, you're going to screw it all up. Yeah. So I remember distinctly this conversation. He says, are you ready to let go? And it took me a long time, but because I trusted him so much and I knew where he came from and and I just felt like he was the better person for the job, I was like, I'm ready. And I had to train myself to not care. It was hard at the beginning. You know, I had to, I had to like fight back this desire to sometimes edit something or fix it or make a comment, uh, but I let go. And I don't touch that now. I don't touch the lead and handle. I just go in and check and it's thriving. Right, and he's doing an amazing job. So I think this is a this is one of those examples where someone else could have said, "I don't want to let go of marketing. No one's going to touch the handle except for me." Right, and you you stifle your growth. You yeah. know, you. Um, so that's just an example. Yeah, no, but I can totally relate to it. The inability to let go is actually one of the most uh, the three most common bottlenecks that 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 I see. I I interviewed. Uh, uh, an entrepreneur recently was saying that he was he, he reached a point where you know the company was growing, but he was signing all the checks, and because he was traveling, he was traveling all around the world. You know, people had to 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 wait for him to get paid until exactly the same that happened to you. And usually, it's an external event coming like that. Is uh, I think it was his financial person or whatever said, "Look, you're gonna have to you're the bottleneck in the business right now. You're gonna have to let go. Here is a plan for you." For the for you know a smooth transition over the next over the next six months, <laughs> and sometimes you need to be told, and, and you need to have the right person that makes you feel like letting go, 
right? Like yeah. uh, some, it's it's hard to let go when you don't feel that you're letting go to the right person. That's a big, big one too, right? Like there's there's two things to that. It's it's the person's ability to let go, but also a lot of that is what comforts do I have that when I let go, it's gonna work. Like yeah. how can you make me feel good about that, right? And so, so it's the. Uh, so, so you have, but you have to realize that you need to let go so that you can hire yes. the right person. Yes. Yes, that's number one. Number one. And and how difficult was that for you? Actually, that was not too difficult because I was out of necessity too. Because when the business is growing so fast, you start getting pulled in many many directions. So, for example, um, I could tweet and continue managing the let and handle, or I could go into the fundraising. Uh, meetings that we were getting called on to raise the tens of millions of more dollars to, to grow the business to the next level or to take the business public, right? Like, what are you going to choose? The next tweet or meeting with that VC that can take you public? The decision is pretty obvious, right? And yeah. so um, you you are forced many times to to make these decisions, but that comes again from this from your own awareness that you need to be putting your time where they have the highest ROI. Right, like what? What is the highest return on your time? Right, and what is your goal? If your goal is to be the number one brand on Twitter, then great, you know, stay tweeting, right? Yeah. But if your goal is to be a world class company and support all of your employees and investors and clients by being the the best capitalized company you can be uh, and having the best investors and the best team, that's very clear where you need to be going, right? Uh, so. A lot of a lot of that comes from self awareness too, as a business person, um, yeah. and 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 being able to say, you know, make that long term decision. Absolutely agree with you. Self awareness is is so important. But do do you spend time on on you just to understand you better? <laughs> um, so what I do for myself very sort of diligently is exercise. So mm-hmm. uh, I exercise every morning. Workout probably five days a week, uh, whether that's you know going on the peloton or doing weights. Uh, that's sort of my meditation, if you would. Um, yeah. I have two young kids, so mm. it's it's hard to to say you know I spend time on myself. Uh, but I have been looking more and more into that stuff. I think you know uh, as you get older, you know physical health becomes very important too. But it's not just physical health. Your life also gets a lot busier uh, with kids and business and relationships. And uh, so, so mental health or mental working out, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. of that as like some type of coaching um, that, uh, and I will say specifically over the last call it two years, uh, I think has become for me more and more important, right? Like I'm looking into it. Uh, I'm, I'm considering because I've heard now from many other people too, founders I look up to, uh, that it's that it's very beneficial yeah. to have somebody to be a sounding board. Sometimes you can do that with your business partner, or you can do that with your wife, but it doesn't work for every little thing. Right, like you can't be sounding off all your business ideas with your wife or your relationship advice with your founder, it's and, and vice versa, right? Like it, it, it does help to have a sort of unbiased third party that can just help you bounce ideas off without feeling like you're going to make a mistake or say the wrong thing, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I had two conversations today with two cli- two different clients about exact exactly that. You know how to reach out to people, how to get outside your bubble 
because it's it can be very lonely at the top. Yeah, and and you feel like you can't say anything to anybody uh, yeah. out of out of fear that you know, oh my god, this person isn't perfect, or oh my god, I can't believe this person has these thoughts. Like, I'm not saying anything controversial, but it's like you know, it's uh, you're we're all human. Yeah, and and also you're you're with your co-founders, you are the only two persons I believe in the company who have that 360 degrees view on everything. Everybody yeah. else, some of them may have like a big a big view, but not the full pictures like you guys have. You guys have, so it's very difficult also to go and share and share your you know troubles with people below you. No, one hundred percent. You 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 gotta have to have people that are. Uh, it's a very unique uh, set of people that you will get value out of, right? And mm. and and make it so that it's a comfortable experience for everybody. So, you know, there's, it's a big industry, right? Like as I'm, as I'm starting to get closer to it and need it, I understand why it exists and why it's so mm. important because, you know, it, everybody can use a little bit of guidance and help. It doesn't matter where you are. Right. Very true. So here's my guidance and help. Start CrossFit. Pam, this is, this was my promotional <laughs> time. I needed to talk about CrossFit because you talk about, you studied it. It's your thought. <laughs> No, I haven't. I'm a couple of my buddies are very into CrossFit. I'm mm -hmm. not myself. I've never actually done CrossFit myself, um, but I've been meaning to try it. You know, it, it's either that one and the other one that I've been wanting to do is is uh, like martial arts, like BJJ and, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, that's been something that's been on my plate, but yeah, uh, but I too. yeah, but I haven't got around to it. Uh, I need to. I need to get better at it. Yeah, CrossFit literally changed my life, so I can talk about it. Whatever. <laughs> but enough, because it's not a podcast about CrossFit. <laughs> Maybe uh, I should do one. <laughs> you should. You know, I find that whatever you're passionate about, uh, I find that it's a great... People are very passionate about CrossFit, and I haven't... The, the, the amount of people... Like, paddle is another one that's being... Like, people are very passionate about pickleball and paddle, and anytime somebody's very passionate about something, I'm instantly drawn to it. Yeah. Uh, because... Just passion just drives, draws you to things, right? Like another example was Peloton. Remember Peloton? Yeah. I was I was the biggest Peloton hater. My whole life I was like, oh, Peloton, <laughs> this is ridiculous. What a, what, a, what a silly bike. And then I went and got on one. Man, it's a, man they've nailed the sort of experience. And now yeah. I'm a big Peloton evangelist, you know? Um, and it's funny. Like the things people are passionate about, Bitcoin, another great example, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm very passionate about Bitcoin. You need you tap me once to go, tap me twice to shut up. Like I'll go, right? <laughs> and and um, but that's and that draws people to Bitcoin. The the fact that you're so excited about something, yeah. right? Like uh, you're not excited about you don't get excited about something like that unless it had a big impact in you. The reason you love CrossFit is because of how it makes you feel, what it did for you. The reason yep. I love Bitcoin is because of what I did for my family, what I've seen it done do for other people. And why I love Peloton is because I know how boring it is to get on a bike. And that thing changed my experience getting on a bike forever. So for me, passion, I'm instantly drawn. Yeah. I actually put two, two, two clients of mine on CrossFit. <laughs> like, yes. There you go. <laughs> and people were not, they were not, uh, they were not uh, into sports at all. But like you said, they realized they needed to do something about it because they needed, they needed that, you know, relief relieving the stress at that place where they could just breathe and don't think about anything else. Endorphins. 
important. Yeah, very true. All right. We're coming to the end of that of the podcast. Uh, question, my favorite question. Take all your experience as a funder and before and summarize it into one practical recommendation for other entrepreneurs. The secret for passion is focus. Mm. Believe it or not. I used to believe that by trying different things and by being like, you know, you, I was always trying to look out for the next trend and the next this and what's getting hot and can I jump on this? And what you, what you learn from that is when you're looking for opportunities because of that, because just because of opportunities, you're always going to be late. You're, you're always going to be late because by the time you you're identify it and you get moving and you get to it, the other people that we've been doing it for years, they're already far ahead of you. So by the time you get there, they're already in the door and out and, and you never got there in time. So you're, you're, never, you're, you're not going to get the best outcomes from just trying to catch someone else's wave, right? Like you, the best efforts or the best things come from your wave. For example, uh, you know, Bitcoin, when we got into Bitcoin, when we launched Ledin, it was in the middle of the bear market. Everybody mm. was like, you guys are crazy. What is this? What? Who would borrow against their Bitcoin? You guys are insane. And if 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 it had been a sure shot, everyone's going to make money, everybody would have been doing what we were doing, right? It would have been very difficult to do something unique if everybody was doing that, right? But did that care? No, because I had seen what Bitcoin had done for people in Venezuela. I was so, my conviction was so high that this thing was just a matter of time that I said, no, you know that this wave is going to break one day. You know yeah. the wave is coming. Build a great board for when it comes. And when it comes, you're going to be the first guy out there paddling. And that's what happened. You know, we build the business. We went out talking to VCs and to clients and to people like, this is why this business makes sense. This is why you should invest in us. This is why this is going to have a great future. And everybody was like, yeah, call me when the, call me when the wave comes. Call me when the wave comes. Call me when the wave comes. And yeah, it'll be hard as you're building that and, and you're waiting for life or this big wave to prove you right. But in the meantime, you know it's coming because you've, you have that passion. You've, you find your fire Find something that you really, really believe in, whether that's CrossFit, whether that's Bitcoin, whether that's AI or whether, whatever it is, and stay there, right? Yeah. Like st give yourself five, three, five years to, tr to test that thesis. Make big bets, right? And, and the other thing that they'll say to you is, oh, diversify your portfolio. You only diversify your portfolio when you have assets to protect. Like if, if you have $20, what does it matter that they're split in a basket of ETFs? It doesn't yeah. matter. Concentrate your efforts. Try to swing for your home runs when you're early and when you're young. Because this idea that you're going to hit a home run when you have $10 on each one of your bets, it's ridiculous. You know, your home mm -hmm. run's going to go to 100 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Like, whereas if you go 200x on $100, okay, now you're talking a million bucks, right? So, like, when you're early on in your career and you, when you have little, little resources, focus them on one big bet that you're very, very passionate about. And, and it can take time to find that. It, it won't come. It may not come to you the, today when you wake up. Don't force yourself to take a big swing into something you're not really passionate about. But when you find it, you swing and you swing very, very hard. Amazing, amazing conclusion. I have, I have to ask you, is your family in uh, Canada now? Are they still in Venezuela? They are in Europe. Uh, okay. Some of it is still in, in Venezuela. Most of my, my direct family is all in Europe, uh, some in Spain, some in Italy, 
And uh, I'm in Canada with my wife uh, and my wife's family who, who also grew up in Venezuela. They're in Canada. Okay. Last question, Mauricio. How can people contact you? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at Cryptonomist with an A at the end, Cryptonomista. And I write the Leden uh, blog. You can check out the Leden blog every two weeks, uh, blog.leden.io. And uh, you can check us out at leden.io. And at Twitter, we're at Huddle with Leden. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, thank you for listening. Do you know how much of the bottleneck here you are in your own business? Well, like Mauricio, you can take the bottleneck index to find out your score. You might be facing bottlenecks that you're not even aware of. You'll find the link to the bottleneck index in the show notes. See you next time. Bye for now.